Hi, welcome to this week's episode of the Support Insights podcast. I'm your host, Bryony Mulcairn. Today, my guest is Phil Thompson from Roofer. Would you like to give a little introduction into your background, Phil? Sure. So I've been in customer service slash customer support for around 15 years now. I kind of fell into it accidentally, actually. I was working in a completely unrelated field and decided that I wanted to quit my job and go take some schooling courses. And as an adult, you can't actually just quit your job and be unemployed. You still need an income. So I got a job working at a retail clothing company outside of my school hours. And then I actually just really fell in love with connecting with all of the customers. And once I finished my schooling, I was like, you know what, I'm going to stick with this. I pursued just kind of like learning customer service and those interactions. And then I switched from the retail environment over to a tech startup called FreshBooks. I joined their team when it was only, I think, five or six members. And I worked with their team doing customer technical support for a SaaS product and growing up their team. I believe by the time I left, the team was around 60 or 70 people. And then from there, I moved on to another tech company called Automatic and worked with several of their products, including WordPress, WooCommerce, Jetpack, one of their hosting company called Pressable, doing team management, team leads, building up the department, training, developing people, et cetera. And currently I'm at Roofer and I'm doing the same sort of thing with them. So working with them to help build and scale up their support team. Right now we're fairly small, but we have a lot of growth happening both this year and projected for next year as well. So just working with them to get kind of like the foundational pieces in place so that we're in a really good spot once the team is 60, 70, 80, 100 people. So when we talked, we talked about basing this episode on creating a healthy feedback culture within your customer's service team and with your agents. What do you think it is that makes a healthy feedback culture as opposed to an unhealthy one? So I think in order to answer that, we first need to take a little bit of a step back and establish what healthy feedback is and what it isn't before you can kind of establish what the culture is. Feedback should always be coming from a desire to improve. If it's rooted in negativity, it's just a complaint and that's not helpful and really it ends up being toxic. So actual feedback should come from a place of caring. Yes, it makes your life easier because like, it's easier to manage a, a well-performing employee than it is an underperforming employee. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like, if you didn't care, we wouldn't give them this feedback. You know, We'd just sever the relationship and be like, okay, like you've screwed up too many times, goodbye. But no, we don't want that. You know, We hired you because we think you're great. We wanna keep you. Mm-hmm. And like, here's you know, some ways that we think that you can get better. So if you didn't care, you wouldn't be doing it. That also means that there's an onus on the person receiving the feedback as well to assume that it's coming from a place of caring. And that can be hard for some people. And that's where the practice and repetition really comes in and really living and breathing in that culture. With that, I'd say it's important to establish the difference between feedback and coaching as well. So often those two things are very much grouped together without any separation. When in reality, if somebody doesn't yet have the knowledge or tools uh, that they need, then it would be coaching. And if they have everything that they need and they're still not performing successfully and they fall short, then that's when you're providing feedback to them. So it may seem like a subtle difference, but it's important in how you approach the conversation and also what you focus on in your delivery and what you deliver in the conversation. So that was a lot of kind of like pre-ramble context, but now that we kind of know what healthy feedback looks like, a healthy feedback culture is one where everyone on the team is 
very comfortable providing feedback to one another. And that doesn't just mean managers to their directs. It means peer-to-peer. It means managers to their directs. It also means directs to their managers. Feedback isn't a one-way street. It doesn't just like come down from above. It goes up, it goes down, it goes side to side. And that is a big component of it. So an unhealthy feedback culture would be where people don't feel comfortable providing feedback. They don't feel comfortable receiving feedback. Uh, The feedback that is being given is poorly constructed, so it's not effective, or it's not really feedback. It's complaints or it's toxic. Yeah, I have to agree with that for sure. So how have you developed this then? Did you see some unhealthy feedback culture over time and developed a better way of doing it? So it's it's a bit of that and a bit of, I had a good head start. So the retail company that I worked at, it's a Canadian clothing company called Lululemon. And their training has changed a lot since I worked there. But at the time, feedback was a really huge part of their culture. And they actually spent a lot of time training new employees on that feedback culture. And that's what kind of really introduced me to this and got me thinking about that. And then working there and working my way through the company, I got to see a lot of the impact that it had. So that kind of set me down the trail of, I really like this and let's kind of like dig into this. This is something cool and impactful. So that kind of spurred my interest and that combined with a few stages through different companies that I've been since then of seeing ways that it either didn't exist or it existed in like a form that wasn't helpful. I wouldn't say any of the companies that I've worked at have had like a toxic or negative feedback culture, but you do still see the instances of that popping up in any environment. Sometimes it's just like a bad fit in hiring where they bring in that negative mindset. So that's kind of how I've traveled down this path and learned as much as I have about this. It sounds great that you're implementing it now at Rufa before it grows. You're building that up from the start. How do you encourage open and unbiased feedback amongst your team? So just like anything else, it's practice. Practice, practice, practice. And first, you need to set a proper foundation. So this means everyone needs to really learn and understand what feedback is and what feedback isn't. Uh, You know, the difference between feedback and coaching, for example, and how to give and receive feedback. And that last one is an important one because feedback is really like that chicken and egg in that in order to be good at giving feedback, you need to be good at receiving feedback. And in order to be good at receiving feedback, you need to be good at giving feedback. So understanding that loop and not just focusing on one side or the other is a really important piece. And then once everyone's on the same page, starting to build that muscle memory with your team. Having team leads do feedback reviews with their direct reports is a great kind of introductory baby step for this. And that would involve sitting down together and viewing interactions and then finding together the areas where the interaction could be improved upon. A really important piece there, I think that a lot of people fall short on is not pushing people outside of their comfort zone and not letting them off with only praise. You know, sure, it's nice to be able to highlight what was done well on an interaction or what you could learn from the interaction, but what could we improve on? Because that's where the learning really comes from. And that's where a feedback culture really grows from. The interactions don't have to be their own. In fact, I often find that it's better to start off with somebody else's interactions because it takes away that mindset of being like analyzed. The other thing that I would say is this actually just popped up this week. Someone just recently asked me if you should make those interactions anonymous. You don't know whose work that it is you're reviewing. And I don't think so because 
the entire purpose of this is getting people comfortable with sharing feedback to anyone. So peers, yep. managers, direct reports, et cetera. So clouding that process with anonymity is kind of counterproductive. So from there, you can take the next step to be working on delivering that feedback because ultimately if we're taking the time to sit down and figure out the feedback of like what we can improve on, we're kind of throwing that to waste if we don't actually action that and deliver that feedback. So you can kind of graduate it as you go along. I'd say another important part of onboarding the team into this healthy feedback culture is volume. It's repetition, repetition, repetition. This isn't something that should only happen during one-on-ones with your lead. This is something that should live and breathe every day. The feedback doesn't need to be big. It doesn't need to be formal. It can be just small things and that's totally fine. So since customer support is so, so, so heavily based on communication, there is always things that we can improve upon. I have not met in 15 years, somebody that is perfect at communication. It just, it doesn't exist and it never will exist. So big or small, there's always an opportunity every day with every single interaction to improve. So be the example for your team, request public feedback on even your own work to kind of start building that mentality. And it helps if you have others that are already comfortable with, with giving feedback and they can jump in on those conversations to kind of get the ball rolling. That makes sense. You said about not being perfect at communicating, but also you're gonna be communicating with so many different people that a conversation and what looks good is going to differ depending on who you're talking to. So you can have a perfect interaction going with one type of person, but someone else you're going to have to completely change the way you get through to them for it to be a successful conversation. Exactly. Every customer is different, regardless of if it's the same question a thousand times. And even the same customer from one day to the next is different. You know, you may have talked to somebody who just spilt their coffee and their alarm didn't go off. So they slept in and, you know, there's all these things going on in their life. You know, their dog's got an upset stomach, whatever it may be relevant for viewers. That is my dog right now. So uh, all of those things impact those interactions and what that customer brings to the interaction as well. So Mm -hmm. that's going to impact how they interpret your messaging, how they're communicating with you, how they're able to enunciate their problems, et cetera. The tailoring is always going to be different. So So yeah, for every interaction, there's always room that we can improve on. There's always room for things that we can, we can make tweaks and additions to, you know, or subtractions, whatever it may be. Could you give me an example of what a healthy piece of feedback might look like? So if you were feeding back to me, that I shouldn't let my dog eat random things because they might get an upset stomach. How would you do that in a healthy way? So This I could turn into an episode of your podcast by itself because the the thing with feedback and what pushes people away from providing feedback usually is, you know, you have to tell this person, like, don't let your dog eat random stuff out, you know, outside. What is difficult about that? And the difficult part, 99.99999% of the time is not the conversation. The difficult part is the conversation we have with ourselves in our head beforehand because everyone starts breaking down the conversation. Okay, if I say this, how is she going to react? If I say this, is she going to get offended? If I say this, is she going to think I'm stupid or patronizing or whatever it may be? We get the what if conversation going in our head. What if I do this? What if I do that? What if I do this? And in reality, it's a science fiction tale. 
because A, it hasn't happened yet. You haven't mm -hmm. even had the conversation. And B, you're not actually getting the reaction of that person when you're doing the simulation in your head. You're getting the reaction of yourself because you have no idea how that person is going to react because their reaction is based on their life experience. It's based on their upbringing. It's based on their cultural norms and social norms and past work experiences and past experiences with dogs and yada yada. It's based on everything. Like I said, spilling their coffee that day. There's no two people that are exactly like in the world in terms of their life experience. So they're all going to have a different outlook on a conversation. It's no different than taking two people to the exact same party. One person might have a blast and the other person might hate it. It's the same party, but they're two different people, two different experiences, two different wants and needs, etc. The same thing goes with a conversation. So when when you do this what if conversation in your head, you end up talking yourself out of everything. You, oh, I can't do that. I can't say this. I can't say that, etc. And the the result of that is even if you do go forward with the you know, with the conversation, you end up trying to sugarcoat things and dance yeah. around stuff and, you know, careful on your wording. And it's that classic like turd sandwich thing with feedback, right? Of like, let's say a good thing and then like give the criticism and then say another good thing. And the thing that I always tell people with that is what are you trying to accomplish with that turd sandwich? Uh, it's, I want to soften out the feedback that I'm giving them. And so first of all, you're already, you're already putting a negative assumption on the feedback. You know, mm -hmm. you're already tying something negative to that feedback of like, oh, I want to soften this out, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so you're assuming that this person is going to take this poorly. So there's your first what if. And then there's also the, the fact of like, you're devaluing your message. It's kind of the same thing as using like, but. And but is a very interesting word because it negates everything before it. So if you're, if you're doing this turd sandwich, you're giving like, hey, compliment, 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 but here's mm -hmm. the feedback. So now you're negating all that compliment. So what, what was the point of it? So if you're building a really comfortable and confident feedback culture, you don't need that turd sandwich because mm -hmm. you can just give somebody feedback. You can just dive into it because the person knows like, hey, I'm telling you this because like, I think this is an area that you can improve on and I want to help you do that. So rather than saying, I know you know how to look after a dog, but you probably shouldn't let her eat things. You would just say, hey, might be a good idea not to let your dog eat stuff yeah but. you think about what is the end goal that you want okay yeah. the end goal that i want to get to is she doesn't let her dog eat random stuff yeah. okay how do i get there how do i convey that messaging in a direct manner yeah. if you focus on that you eliminate the need for the sugar coating you eliminate the need for the extra dance around and all the fluff and verbiage because ultimately i have no control over how you receive my message I don't. I could tell you that your hair looks lovely today and you could think that I'm being sarcastic because like, I don't know this, but like maybe you just came from the gym and like you think that your hair looks a mess, but I think it looks great. Uh, I mean, don't take hair advice from me, you know, at all. But <laughs> anyways, there, ultimately, I have no control over how you receive my message. I can control what I say and what I do. And that's it. So I could give you a compliment and you could think I'm being sarcastic or I could give you very direct uh, feedback and you could think that was fantastic. This is super helpful. Phil really cares about me and he knows like I'm a first time dog owner. I'm struggling with this. So you think about the messaging and mm -hmm. if you can tailor that to the person, but I really like to minimize that because when you start thinking about tailoring that to the person, you start getting into the sugar coating and the extra words again. So just tell somebody like, Hey, 
I know exactly the problem you're going through right now. I've been down that road many times myself. And trust me, like it's been very expensive. I've had a lot of vet visits. So I would recommend you don't let your dog eat any random stuff on the ground. It's not good for them. <laughs> They're going to get bacterial infections in their gut, very unhealthy, potentially dangerous, et cetera. You know, I don't have to like start complimenting you. First of all, I think you're a great dog mm -hmm. owner. So don't take this personally, but yada, 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 you know, just get into it. The facts are I've done this. I've been down this road before. It's, it's not cheap. It's not fun. I was up all night with my dogs multiple times. So take it from my experience. You don't want to do this. Yeah. And that way you're giving me information. You're assuring me that it's coming from a place that's going to help me and I don't feel patronized. So. Yeah. And I mean, like if you did feel patronized, like again, I can't control how you're going to feel about that. So at that point, it's always on you on how you deliver your message to circle back and see how that was received. Because then, you know, if you thought it was patronizing, then I can revisit and be like, hey, that's not the intention behind this. Add some clarification. But ultimately, like, I can't really control how you take my messaging. I'm, I can only control how I deliver it. We could totally do a whole other episode on the psychology here. But, <laughs> but fireworks for your dog feedback. So... Rufa is fully remote. So do you find that to be a challenge when you're promoting this feedback culture? I don't. I think in a lot of ways, actually, it's easier in a remote or distributed environment. I mean, some ways it, it could be similar in some ways it could be a little bit more difficult but i would say in general i think it's actually a bit easier so an example would be in an office situation a lot of times these conversations will take place just kind of like organically in person at least if there's a healthy feedback culture there and as a result you're going to have members of the team that are going to miss out based on like who's in the vicinity to overhear the conversation so naturally you'll have people that miss out on those conversations. Whereas in a remote or distributed environment, everything is already communicated in a manner that can be made accessible to everybody, at least if it's done properly. I mean, if you're doing all of this in, in DMs, then yes, it's very hard, but that would be just the same as in an in-person environment if you're only having these conversations in a closed room with just the two of you kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're communicating in an open environment, so Slack would be your team channels or in places where everybody can get involved in the conversation, then I actually think it can be easier to promote this sort of culture because you can get more visibility to it. It doesn't matter if you have people that are working in other time zones that are offset. If you have that open communication, they can start their shift and go back and be like, oh, hey, yeah, there was you know, a ticket that we broke down. Let's take a look at that. And then they can contribute to it as well if they wanted to. Or maybe it's just a matter of they can read it, review it, and learn from that conversation. Because that's what really that culture is about, is spurring that learning. And that's a great way for the team to do that, is having everybody involved in those conversations. Yeah. And then you can collaborate on the best way to do something all around, I suppose, as well. It's not just necessarily a personal piece of feedback. It's this is, I think, the best way to do this. Do you all agree? And then people can take their learnings from it. Exactly. It's going back to that same thing of nobody is perfect at communication. I've been doing this for a long time and there's still stuff that I pick out in interactions that I'll have where it's like I could have done that better or that other people will point out to me of here's a way that I do this that tends to work out better. There's always going to be that learning because nobody's perfect at communication. So it's the same sort of thing of just one person's feedback isn't necessarily the right or best way. You know, mm -hmm. it might be better than the way that you're doing it, but it might not be as good as the way that 
Jane is doing it or that John is doing it. So having that group collaborative environment is super helpful in that because you can kind of like pick and choose from everyone, get the best possible input in terms of a more holistic solution or approach and combine everybody's little tidbits and put it all into a pile. And then there you go. It's again, never going to be perfect, but the end result that you're going to have is going to be much better in a collaborative environment. So how do you think this healthy feedback culture positively affects other areas of the business? Like helping with development in other departments or with the growth of the agent? Obviously, to start, there's the massive advantage of the interactions that you have with your customers, since communication is such a big component of the job. But even within the team itself and within the company, it is helpful. Within the team, it's that growth. It's that growth and constant learning and evolving, you know, because everything is always changing, especially when you get into like tech SaaS companies. So having that learning and changing and collaborative environments is important. But Outside of the team, working with other departments, I think it's important because one, uh, when dealing with other teams at your company, it empowers people to use their voice. They're going to feel more comfortable. They're going to feel more confident sharing, knowing that they don't have to share winners all of the time. This doesn't have to be the home run idea. It can be small suggestions, as well as the mindset that just because product came up with an idea doesn't mean it's the best idea. It's another conversation, but like when you have a product team that isn't in step with support, they may work on a feature that's been requested, but they implement it in a manner that isn't in line with what customer expectations would be. So in a situation like that, this practice is empowering the support team to use that voice and say like, hey, product, you're working on this feature, yada, yada, yada. How it works as you've designed isn't in line with how the customer is expecting these, et cetera. So they'll have that confidence delivering that messaging. And that's a great first step in building those bridges to have a support team that's more involved in the processes of other departments. When they're more involved with you know, your marketing and your sales teams, they're more involved with your product and development teams because they have that confidence to speak up. And then also staff will feel empowered to speak up with their careers as well, speaking up on opportunities that they want to pursue or suggestions and ideas that they have just because like your the management of your support department hasn't identified a problem or identified an opportunity doesn't mean that one isn't there so it's just really empowering that voice and building that confidence with them and that does definitely transition outside of the department because support in a healthy environment really needs to work hand in hand with all the other teams at your company because any team at your company, the work that they're doing is either impacting your team directly or indirectly, because it's going to impact a customer. The accounting and sales team wants to raise the pricing or decrease or increase the free trial, et cetera. That's going to impact your customer. Therefore, it's going to impact your support team. Product wants to do a new feature. Well, that's obviously going to impact the customer. That's going to impact your support team. So it's really important for them to have that voice and have that confidence to speak up in those situations. Yeah, and I love that example about speaking up about opportunities in your career because I've seen how many opportunities get passed by because people haven't felt confident enough to find out that there's one even available. <laughs> A lot of times you don't know until you ask. So you're obviously used to this remote culture now. You were remote for a long time at Automatic before you came over to Rufa, before any of us have been used to it since lockdown. So do you have any advice for people who are trying to improve their feedback culture while trying to take their business to a more remote place? 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've been working in a remote or distributed environment for about seven years now. And thankfully, before the pandemic, I did do this at Automatic, who had been doing it for already a decade before I got there. So they already had like a good foundational system for me to pop in and see like, yeah, this is what it should be like. So the biggest thing that I would say for companies that are trying to adjust like post pandemic is stop trying to do things the way that you were doing them before, because it often does not work. I've seen a lot of companies that once the pandemic hit, they, they just carried over what they did to now everybody's working from wherever and we do the same thing. It doesn't translate because a lot of what you were doing before when you were in the office is whether you notice it or not anchored around that real world in-person experience, mm -hmm. you know, whether it be the casual conversations that happen at the kitchen bar or those spin your chair around and just quickly sync conversations, those things don't happen the same way in a remote or distributed environment. And even the spin your chair around and have those conversation kind of things, you can do that in a remote environment. But often what people do in a remote environment is like, hey, let's you and I jump on a call quick, or mm -hmm. I'm just going to DM this person. And what you're not realizing is that if you were sitting in the office and you spun your chair around to talk to Jane, then Rob also heard that conversation because he sits mm -hmm. beside you. And, you know, Dave on the other side also heard the conversation but he, because he was there. And Susan just happened to be over talking to somebody else. So she heard that conversation. And then, you know, those people often will have input on it as well. They might have like, oh, you know what? Yeah, that is a great idea. But you know what? Somebody else in marketing already tried that before and blah, 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 blah. So that is what I would say is probably one of the biggest issues with companies moving over to a post-pandemic working remote environment is they they don't think about the the other implications of those real world experiences. So now when you move online and you have that conversation as a DM or just like a two person video call, you're cutting out all of those people that would have organically been involved in the conversation or at least overheard it. You know, So I would say the biggest thing is just open collaboration always. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, at, at Automatic, we didn't use email at all. Like I'd get I'd get like three emails in a year. <laughs> uh, and the the thing for us was communication is oxygen. So it has to be everywhere. It has to be available. So all the communication that we did was public. We didn't do things in private DMs. We didn't do things on like private calls, et cetera. If we were on a call and, you know, there's a number of people there, when we got off the call, we did a summary of that call and we shared it publicly so everybody else could review because you're going to find that people that weren't there either are impacted by that work or have an, you know, have a, a say and an input on that work. So I would say that's probably the biggest piece of advice that I could give to a company on, on building out a proper remote culture. I think that is actually really valuable now that you've said that. I didn't really think about the idea of sharing your call afterwards with everyone else so they can weigh in, but I can see how that would be really helpful because a lot of people when you're in the non-remote world, you can also overhear what other people are saying on their calls. So you can pick yep. up on something that maybe wasn't right or could have been a little bit better, but you can't do that in a remote world unless you're listening into people's calls. And then there's sort of a line there between helping out for feedback and micromanaging, which I think is difficult to find the right balance with. But something really key that you said at the beginning of this call was about giving feedback for the right reasons. 
because you believe in this person and you're trying yeah. to help them and sort of grow them within the business. Yeah, exactly. And if you really work on instilling that mindset, then it goes a long way in buying yourself out of those like feeling micromanaged situations, mm -hmm. you know, because you know, somebody might give you a feedback several times a day, but giving people a lot of feedback doesn't necessarily have to be micromanaging, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, they're two different things. So if you're really working on building that positive and and healthy feedback culture where everybody knows like, hey, I'm telling you this because like, I want you to do great at your job. You're going to be awesome at your job and I'm going to help you get there. Then they know that like, yeah, okay, like this is the third thing today that Phil's pointed out for me. But like, obviously that's the third thing today that I could improve on. So, you know, just because like, just because he's already told me one thing that I could improve on today, he can't tell me another, you know, like, is there, is there like a, a quota for getting better, you know? So, so when you, when you start to actually have that mindset it goes a long way in in dismissing some of those other negative mindsets yeah and if you've instilled this culture in yourself then you'll probably find yourself more open to asking for feedback as well yes. you know the call went like this does anyone have a way of dealing with this sort of thing yes obviously there's a lot more to dive into on a lot of this like delivering feedback that's kind of like a whole conversation in its own of like those what if conversations etc but i think if you kind of focus on those things as like your foundation that gets you a pretty good start thanks so much for joining phil this has been really really helpful and i hope the viewers have found it helpful as well and can start implementing some things in their own businesses hopefully we'll speak again soon and chicken and rice for your dog for a while Yes, I know. She's already on it, but that's that's even a lot at this point. So thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. Thank you.